Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I am trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. And Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured, he picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. And so the Jewish leaders said to the man who had been healed, it is a Sabbath, the law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, the man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. This is what all the fuss is about, an oversized mikveh. I have a feeling we haven't seen it all yet. This isn't just a meeting. Do we need to be on the lookout? No. Now stay with me and watch. Shalom. Me? Yes. Shalom. I have a question for you. For me. I don't have many answers, but I'm listening. Do you want to be healed? Who are you? We'll get to that later. But my question remains. Will you take me to the water? <laughs> Look, I'm having a really bad day. You've been having a bad day for a long time. So? Sir, I have no one to help me into the water when it's stirred up. 
And when I do get close, the others step down in front of me. And so... Look at me. Look at me. That's not what I asked. I'm not asking you about who's helping you or who's not helping or who's getting in your way. I'm asking about you. <laughs> I've tried. For a long time, I know. And you don't want false hope again, I understand. But this pool, it has nothing for you. It means nothing. And you know it. But you're still here. Why? I don't know. You don't need this pool. You only need me. So, do you want to be healed? So let's go. Get up, pick up your mat, and walk. Free to walk, like he said. Don't forget your bed. Why does this matter? Because you're not coming back here. That life is over. Everything changes now. Yo! It's Shabbat. What are you doing? Torah forbids carrying a map on Shabbat? Not Torah, the oral tradition. Yes. Transporting objects from one domain to another violates Shabbat. The man who healed me. Do you not realize what just happened here? Why are you trying to make this about Shabbat? He said to me, take up your bed and walk. Who did? Who told you that? He did. I, I don't know. He didn't tell me his name. No. Of course not. He performs a magic trick and tells you to commit a sin. A false prophet. This will be reported. You report whatever you want. Are you standing on two legs? <laughs> <clears throat> this is a really powerful piece of scripture out of John chapter 5. Um, <clears throat> you heard it read uh, before the video presentation started. You heard it read and you saw those words 
uh, from the scripture pop on the screen, hopefully, uh, as the scripture is being read. And then obviously this is a dramatic uh, presentation of it uh, from the television streaming show, The Chosen, that kind of can put some pictures in our mind of, of what's happening. Uh, but I want to I take a few minutes and, and walk through the scripture with you. Um, in John chapter 5, it be, starting in verse 1, it begins with Jesus. It says Jesus was in Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. It doesn't say which one, but yet he's there. It says that he um, entered into the area of the pool of Bethesda. Uh, I'm kind of wondering if that was, in the minds of the disciples, a likely place for him to lead them there that day. I don't know, but I just wonder. Um, the pool of Bethesda, the name Bethesda, Bethesda in Aramaic, it means uh, something like house of healing or place of healing. And, and so you can see why the people that are there are there. Uh, as, the, as the scripture described them, it described them as the disabled, the uh, blind, the lame, the paralyzed. And so they're there because it's known as a healing pool. Healing pools were not necessarily uncommon in the Roman Empire. They existed prob probably uh, in areas of, you know, well-populated areas. Uh, they would be um, dedicated to one of the Roman gods in the pantheon of Roman gods, maybe a patron god of that city or, or maybe supposedly had done something in that area. Uh, so they weren't uncommon, and so there's some familiarity. Um, this particular pool had a legend behind it. Uh, the legend behind it was that each day uh, an angel would enter into the pool and stir the water, and the first person in that pool after the water is stirred is healed. And so again, you can see why those folks are there. Likely, they had tried a bunch of things in life, and they saw the pool as their only hope of change, of things being different. Uh, Jesus encountered this guy uh, that was paralyzed. He said, the scripture says he'd been paralyzed for 38 years. We don't know how. We don't know why he, he, he became, that, became that way. We just know he was that way. And uh, we don't even really know why Jesus picked him out of the crowd uh, of people. But yet he did. And Jesus uh, approached him and asked a really important question. Do you want to get well? Uh, the man responded, and, and, and rightfully so. The man responded uh, with some reasons, some excuses, some, that, he's, that he can't get in the pool. Said that there's no one to help him in the pool. And when he tried to do it himself, that uh, everyone that was more ambulatory than him or faster than him or whatever jumped ahead of him and got in the pool before him. And, and we can really even understand that. Everybody there wanted to be healed. Everybody there wanted the same thing. But the scripture goes directly to, from him saying those things to Jesus saying some more words to him. Stand up, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. And from there, the scripture says that he was cured. Now, I don't want to leave out that last part 
of where the scripture says that once the guy was cured, uh, the scripture says the Jews approached him and um, accused him accused him of sinning, of breaking the Sabbath. And I don't want to I don't want to lose that because it's a part they it was a part of what they called the oral law or the oral tradition, and without going into a bunch of detail, the oral tradition took the law of Moses, what we know as the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, which include a lot of the law, uh, of God's law, and they added layer after layer after layer after layer on top of that law and, and tried, and, tried and, and, and did define sin like that. They made what God said even more difficult in their eyes. And so the guys, the people accused him of sinning, and we can kind of take from that that this guy was probably Jewish, was Jewish, because had he been a Gentile, the Jews wouldn't have paid any attention to him. But basically what we see is here, there's a culture of that day that really wasn't set up for people like that man and the people around him. Uh, there was nothing there to take care of him. Maybe, maybe this guy, maybe his parents took care of him for a long time. And maybe they just can't do it anymore, or maybe they passed. And maybe that's a common thing around all the people lying there. Uh, the religion of the day uh, didn't seem to be very sympathetic uh, toward them. Uh, in fact, there are some teachings or some ways of teaching that would have said uh, that you're that way because of sin in your life. If not, you'd be blessed you, if you were if you were the opposite, you would be blessed. And so that's where we find ourselves. And I read this scripture quite often, this, this chapter quite often, simply because John's my favorite book in the Bible, and I like to go back to it from time to time, uh, probably a couple times, a few times a year. And I'm encountered by this, uh, this scripture a few times a year maybe. And, and what I know about reading the Bible what I believe about reading the Bible, what I have faith in about reading the Bible, is that it's God's word to us today. It's, how, it's the primary way that he talks to us today. And so as I read, I can take what I'm reading very personally. Instead of just reading the, uh, the scripture and just saying, yeah, I can agree with this, I read it, and I think all believers should read it as God is talking to us through the Scripture. And, and so if we do that, we're, we're faced with a challenge. Uh, in this particular piece of Scripture, uh, there's a, to me, there's a challenge right in the middle of it. When I read it, I read it like, Glenn, do you want to get well? Every time. And when I read that, there might be something going on in my life that's pretty apparent that I need to get well from, uh, whether it's physical, uh, could be relation, you know, problems in, in relationships. We can think of a lot of things in our lives that we, we may need to get well from, right? There's some emotional things going on in our life, maybe issues with our mental health, maybe issues with relationships, maybe financial issues. It may be very physical, like what the man was experienced. But what we know is, from living life, what we know is that man had a lot more than just the physical 
problem to get past, to get well from. He had a lot of other things to get well from too. And we end up, as I ask God, God, what, what, where do I need to get well? He's pretty faithful. <laughs> He's very faithful in showing. And then usually there's a common thread as I pray and as I read scripture. And that common thread is this. I'm not putting him first. I'm not putting him in the position that he is supposed to be in my life. I found myself on some divergent trails away from his will, away from his plan. I found myself uh, deciding that uh, because I'm a reasonably smart guy that I know what's best for my life and I can take care of it. I can do it myself. Why bother God with it? Yeah, even I can do that. Maybe you can relate. But every time I get on those divergent trails, every time I get on those uh, unbiblical thought patterns, God reveals to me that he needs to be first. And so, which really, that thought led to the title of the sermon, Why Jesus First? And so, as I worked through it, I came up with some reasons. There's many more, okay? But why Jesus first? Because we do not have to walk alone. Oftentimes we choose it. Oftentimes we feel like it even when it's not true. But we don't have to walk alone. In fact, you don't have to go very much farther in the Bible, uh, very much farther in the book of John, to see God's plan for walking with us through life. If you just go nine chapters forward in the book of John, in chapter 14, you see Jesus preparing his disciples for something really scary, maybe, uncomfortable, maybe unexpected. He's preparing them for his departure. He's preparing them for the crucifixion. He's preparing them for the resurrection and his eventual, and his eventual uh, ascension into heaven. And so right there at the beginning of chapter 14, you see him say something beautiful. If I go, I prepare a place for you. For me, that says, he didn't just say, okay, Glenn, you're saved. Take care of yourself. I'm prepared for you. I've thought it through. I've got the plan. And then as you read down through the chapter, you encounter verse 14, or excuse me, verse 16. And it says this, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you and I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to be with you. He's, he's given us, he's given us the counselor, the Holy Spirit, in fact, if you read further down in verse 26, uh, if you need any more assurance, he says, but the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything. He's not left us alone. He wants to walk with us. And in, in tandem with the, uh, with the Holy Spirit, he's given us the Bible. We've referred to it already. He's given us the Bible to spend time with him every day. 
to learn about his nature, his ways, to hear encouragement, to get wisdom. He's given us that. And as we spend time with it every day, our relationship with him grows. We understand it's not all about us. We understand that the whole world, uh, there's a whole world that exists a little bit farther than our arm reach. We understand he's bigger than all the stuff we're walking through. In fact, one of the things that I've made a habit of doing, and I don't know how long I've done it, but every morning I wake up and uh, I walk into my kitchen and I smell some coffee that has been preset on the uh, coffee pot uh, the night before. And I pour myself a cup of coffee. I sit in my very familiar chair and I read a proverb. And you, you know, you probably heard you know, there's 31 proverbs in most months of the year. There's 31 days, and if it's a shorter month, you get the great opportunity to read a couple of proverbs in one day. Um, February, you get to read a few in one day. Um, but man, it's amazing. Once I started that habit, what God has, <clears throat> what God has shown me, because I really started doing it because I wanted wisdom. And proverbs is a wisdom is wisdom literature. And look, at the very least, if you read through Proverbs every day, you're gonna, you are going to get some wisdom. You're going to be able to recognize what a fool looks like. And you're going to get some great encouragement about God. But every third of every month, so every third day of every month, I get to read Proverbs 3. And right in the middle or right at the sort of the beginning of Proverbs 3, there's this great scripture, great verses, and starting in verse 5, it says this. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your pathways or your paths straight. Every month I read that and it's a simple reminder that when I acknowledge God, when I put him first, when I trust him, I don't have to lean on my own understanding. I don't have to lean on the wisdom of the world. I don't have to lean on the circumstances I find myself in. I don't have to lean on anything but God. And I love the ending of that. And he, may, he will make your paths straight. There's a plan. And it doesn't matter how far off the pathway I diverge that pathway keeps going straight. And as I reconnect and walk with God, he gets me back on that pathway. God has a plan. He wants to walk through life with us. And he's given us the Holy Spirit. He's given us the Bible. You know, I can remember 2000, the first part of 2017 probably was the most difficult period in my life. Probably. It began... Um, I don't, even know, I don't even remember the date. I probably should have looked it up. But it began with my mother-in-law, my wife's mother, going into the hospital for something very simple, surgery, and something going wrong, and she never walked out of the hospital again. She passed away. And that was difficult. We love her. It was difficult. And then a few days later, well, a few days later, we had her funeral. And then a couple of days later, I got a phone call from Meridian, Mississippi, uh, saying my mother died. And that was difficult, just in a matter of a week. And then a few days later at my mom's funeral, 
I learned two words I've never really ever learned before, knew before, uh, ventricular tachycardia. My wife's heart went into ventricular tachycardia at my mother's funeral. And then about an hour and a half later, again at the hospital, she experienced it again. And man, since then, we've doctor's appointments after doctor's appointments, we've heard this statement. Well, you know, only 5% of the people who go through that survive it. I got kind of tired of hearing that. Well, after my wife got home and we got a little bit settled, a couple weeks later, we get the call, her father died. And so in uh, 27 days, I think it was, we, all that stuff happened. And I don't tell you that to be dramatic. I, I, I tell you that because it, there came a point in, in the aftermath of all this that my wife looked at me and she said, I don't know how anyone could walk through this without God. And you've probably experienced some things in life where maybe you've looked at it and you've said, because maybe you're a believer and you're saying, I don't know how anyone could experience this without God. And that's the truth. The man was alone. Nothing had worked until Jesus. And this was his launching pad for the rest of his life. Jesus gave him back right there his ability to walk. But he also, he gave him more than the ability to walk physically. He gave him the ability to walk with him through life. Why Jesus first? Because he can move us past obstacles, excuses, and barriers. Um, you know, those things don't always go away. But God helps us navigate them. That paralyzed guy, you know, I mentioned it earlier, he had some, again, some legit, very legitimate excuses and some very legitimate reasons and obstacles or barriers or whatever you want to call them that he couldn't get to that pool. And, you know, as we think about things uh, that we face in life, we probably have some too. We probably have some very legitimate reasons why things aren't happening or things have happened that we didn't want to happen or we, we can probably name the experience, we can probably give the list. But you know, uh, for that guy, even that pool, that pool that supposedly healed people, even that pool was an obstacle because it was, a, it was something that was giving him false hope. And the scripture, unlike the video, the scripture doesn't say the, the false hope, but I, I'm kind of basing that, I'm basing that on Two things I, that I, I'm very confident in. One is God, okay? That, that you know, that, this happened a long, long time ago, 2,000 years ago-ish. But one thing that hasn't changed is God. He's still the same. And if that pool really healed people, it's not of God. God doesn't set up healing into a competition. Okay, angel, go stir the water, and let's see, who, let's see who can get in the water first. That's not God. That's not his nature. That's not his ways. He meets our needs on a personal, individual basis. He doesn't just do arbitrary things like that. That's not who he is. Because I can imagine these people have laid around that pool or reclined around that pool for a very long time, and you know what? They've watched person after person get in that pool and nothing happened. And then you might say, well, why in the world are they lying around the pool? Because we can convince ourselves of almost anything if we want to. 
Well, it didn't work for him, but you know what? It's going to work for me. We can just do that. The other thing I would tell you that hadn't changed since that day is human nature. And you know, one of the things I love about human nature is there is a, there's just a lot of good people in the world. There are nice people in the world. There are good people in the world seeking to do good things. And I would imagine, and it's just me imagining, okay, if, there, if that pool really healed people, that there would be some people that have walked in that pool and experienced healing and that would have made it their life's mission to make sure as many people got through that pool as possible in the most efficient way and in the most timely way. Oh, you've been here how many years? Look, you're first in line. And guess what? You can't walk. I'm going to help you get in. There will be people that would do that. I'm just very confident in that. The other thing is the other side of human nature. Maybe the one that, most, that we can relate to the most. If that pool really healed people, somebody would be making money off of it. Okay? I don't know if it'd be the Romans. I don't know if it'd be the, the, the Jewish population there. I don't know if it'd be some just creative entrepreneur. But we just, we just know it. I just, I just believe that. And you know what? The interesting thing if that were the case, the people that were lying around the pool when Jesus approached, they wouldn't even, if that was the case, they wouldn't even have access to it because they wouldn't be able to afford it because their meager life depended on people, what tantamount to people's pocket change or the benevolence of bringing some bread or something to them just for daily sustenance. They wouldn't, they wouldn't have even had access to it. They couldn't afford it. Well, Sometimes we have some pools in our life that become obstacles that we just think they're going to work, even though they haven't worked time after time after time in our lives. That pool changed nothing. But for that guy, and, we, and again, I'm saying this without knowing the rest of that guy's life. I know it. But Jesus changed everything for him. Jesus gave him a new uh, opportunity and look, if you, again, if you, think that, that, if you think the only thing that was, that was going on in that guy's life was physical, you're wrong. I'm wrong if I think that. It's not just the physical that he couldn't walk. That guy, think about it. He didn't have any way to make money. He didn't have a career, if you will. He, didn't, he, was, he didn't, obviously didn't have friends. He obviously didn't have people in his life to help him. Being healed right there was just the launching pad for the rest of his life. Just depending on what he was going to do with it. Jesus had a lot more. God had a lot more for him in his life. Why Jesus first? Because he tells us the truth. He doesn't always tell us what we want to hear, but what we need to hear. And, uh, and you know, Jesus made a habit of telling people, giving people grace and telling them the truth. In fact, here in verse 14, which wasn't read, uh, he, he saw the guy again. He saw him at the temple. And he encountered him, and he said, hey, look, you're walking around. How great. But don't sin anymore, or something else will happen. I, it immediately may, reminds me of the woman caught in adultery. You know, after all this stuff, here's people that want to stone her, put her to death. And, and uh, they walk away after Jesus confronts them. And he turns to her, and he said, hey, where's your accusers now? And she said, I, there, 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 there are none. 
And he said, I don't accuse you either, grace. Go and sin no more, truth. We all need truth in our lives. We need truth about God. We need truth about ourselves. And we need truth about the world around us. We need truth. And, and, and Jesus gives it to us. And there's just no substitute for it. The, the stuff we get from the world that's called the truth is, is, is a moving target. With God, it's not a moving target. I mean, from the world, even the definition of truth is a moving target. It changes almost weekly sometimes. We start hearing terms about my truth. Either it's true or it's not. And it's constant from Jesus, and so we can rely on it. Why Jesus first? Because he changes things for good. And I know you can use that sentence, sentence in two ways. At least I, that's the only two I thought of. You can say, he changes things for good meaning things get better, or he changes things for good, means it lasts. And those are two good things, two very true things about putting Jesus first, knowing Jesus, and putting Jesus first. And, you know, it's because he offers relationship, okay? Things get good. They become good because he offers relationship. He doesn't just save you and say, hey, glad you're saved. See you later. It's relationship. Salvation is the starting point. It's not the end point. Then comes the relationship of beginning to learn how to walk with him every day, beginning to get into his scripture, beginning to have a, begin, become a person of prayer, beginning to surround yourself with people who love you and, and are godly people and want to walk with you through life. It's about relationship with him and it's about relationship with others. And we begin to see good things happen in our life. Do all the tough things in life disappear? No, but we walk with him and others through it. Do all the terrible people that do terrible things disappear? No, they don't. But we learn how to as the scripture says, bear with them and walk through life with Jesus. He teaches us so much. And then he makes us righteous. Things become good or, excuse me, he changes things for good. And in that, he makes us righteous. Something we can't do ourselves. I had a, I had a roommate in college who, and I'll, I'll fully admit I didn't talk to people much about God when I was in college, okay? I wasn't there. I wasn't there yet. But, I, but somehow I got in this conversation with my friend. He was from New York City, and I just asked him. I said, do you believe in God? And he began to give me all this stuff, and basically it came down to, well, Glenn, God and I have, we've made a deal. I don't, treat people bad and I'm not mean to people and he gave me this list of things and then and God's okay and then basically he ended it with and God's okay with that well I wish I would have been bold enough or experienced enough or whatever I needed to be to tell him the truth that God's not a deal maker like that and he's already got the plan but I wasn't 
But can you relate to that? We want, a lot of times, even even people who've been a believe, who has been a believer for a long time, we try to work out our own righteousness, and we try to show the world how righteous we are. When there's nothing we can do to become righteous apart from Jesus Christ, zero, we can do to be righteous apart from Jesus Christ. He makes us righteous. Nothing we can hope to attain in terms of righteousness is on our own. Nothing. Scripture tells us that. So where does, this, where does all this bring us? Well, it brings us to a point where we've been exposed to God's word. We've read through it. We've seen a presentation of it. We've talked through it. What about you? The question still remains. Do you want to get well? Maybe you're a believer. You've been, maybe you've been one for a long time. And there's just some places in life that you've taken those divergent pathways and maybe you don't even see it right now. Maybe God's showing you. And maybe you do need to place God first. Maybe you've compartmentalized some parts of your life away from God and you need to put him on the proper throne in that part of your life. Maybe you're a person, you've walked in, this, in the door today and you're curious about Jesus and a life with Jesus Christ. Maybe this room, maybe this church building represents the pool of Bethesda to you, that you've tried everything else and you'll give Jesus a shot. Well, we're glad you're here. We would love to talk to you about that. We'd love to opportunity to talk to you about that relationship, that beginning of a relationship with Jesus Christ and walk with you through life introduce you to people that have been where you are. Maybe you're a person, you've moved here recently, or maybe you've lived here forever, and you, and you really just don't have a church home and you're looking for it. Uh, we would love to talk to you about that. You don't have to wait for school to start to do that. You don't have to wait for Waylon to get back to do that. You can do it now. You can do all this now. Let the Holy Spirit lead you, okay? Not circumstances. Let the Holy Spirit lead you and let him show you few moments, you're going to see some pastors, including me, in front of the stage. We'd love to talk to you. We'd love to pray with you. And, um, and, we, can, and we, we would love to do that. Let me pray, and then we'll go. Father, thank you for the opportunity to be here today to, uh, to pray, to sing, to be able to give, to be able to share your word. And Father, I ask you, right now to bless this time of invitation. It's not an invitation to just walk down front to a stage. It's an invitation into a new life with you for some, into a better life with you for others. It can be a time of healing. It can be a time of uh, new beginnings. Whatever it represents, God, how you've worked in people's lives through this worship service, I pray that you help them respond. Some people are gonna respond right, right, where, they're sit, right where they're sitting. But God, I know there's something about taking that step of faith and walking down front. So God, we do invite that to, ha to happen right now. I thank you, God, that you never abandon us. The whole world can abandon us, but you're still with us if we believe and we're in relationship with you. We thank you for that. And God, thank you for that question. Do you want to get